But the work of ministry is a very similar way. For Paul, for me, it's wanting to see that those who have come to faith underneath the ministry that the Lord has given you, or maybe those who have come to your church as a believer, but they have grown in their faith and then they go off somewhere else. You just want to know that they are doing well. And sometimes during trials as pastors, along with church members, it may seem as if the work is not truly worth the heartache. Sometimes the trials can be so great. It can seem, you know, Lord, is this really worth it? When times like this come, it is because when we are questioning God saying, Lord, I don't know if this is worth it. I believe it's because we're viewing the work from an earthly perspective and not from a heavenly perspective. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is really divided in uh, chapters 1 through 7. We have a strong defense from Paul of his position as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is clear from uh, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians that there was a great attack against Paul, not just from unbelievers, but by believers, uh, probably especially the Judaizers who preach that in order for you to truly come to faith in Jesus Christ as a Gentile, you not only had to receive Jesus as your Savior, but also you needed to convert to Judaism to be circumcised, to follow the Mosaic law. And they had a list of things and they were teaching that Paul was not teaching the whole gospel. And so we have in chapters one through seven, we'll close it out today, a defense of a Christian father because the church in Corinth, they were Paul's spiritual children. And so we have this defense from a Christian father to his children that he was speaking the truth to them, that Corinth held a very special place in his heart. It was there that the church was founded during Paul's second missionary journey, where he met Aquila and Priscilla, a beloved couple that we meet not only in the epistles, but also in the book of Acts. They were tent makers, and Paul also being a tent maker, he lodged with them during that time. It was a place where prior to that, on the second missionary journey, when Paul preached the gospel in whatever city he he happened to be in, um, it would 
seem that things would go well for a short period of time and then there would be trouble that would come against him so strongly that Paul would have to flee the city. And it was here in Corinth that Paul was beginning to get those old feelings again. Well, Lord, the church is founded. It looks like they're about ready to run me out of town. And then the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision by night, Acts 18.10, saying, Do not be afraid and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And standing upon this promise of Jesus, Paul was able to remain in Corinth for a year and a half. And I believe during that time, he developed this great love for the Corinthians. Paul fought for his spiritual children through prayers, through letters, through colleagues that he would send there when he couldn't visit. And he even visited a second time, and some believe maybe a third time. Paul's zeal, his love for the Corinthians, it was so great that it caused him to pin these words. And we base the title of this passage from this verse in 2 Corinthians 7, 3, where Paul said, I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 13, greater love has no end than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And Paul was ready to defend the Lord's work in Corinth with his dying breath. So today we're going to look at a passage that I titled, To Die and Live Together. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I broke it into five parts. Verse 1, having these promises. Verses 2 through 4, to die and live together. Verses 5 through 7, Paul's comfort and rejoicing. Verses 8 through 12, regret and no regret. And 13 through 16, Paul's confidence. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1, get us into our first point, having these promises, and then open us in prayer over the teaching of God's word. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Father, I pray that you would, as the last song that we sung before our teaching today, change our hearts, Lord. That, Lord, you would help us to cleanse both outwardly and inwardly. That we would have this perfecting, of holiness in our lives. As scripture tells us, be ye holy because I am holy. So Lord, you have set a high standard for us. It is a standard, Lord, that you do not expect us to make on our own. You've not only given us Christ as our savior, but you have filled us with your spirit that you could enable us to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. As we hear your words preached this day, we asked, In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I closed last week with chapter 7, verse 1, because I said, well, it really seems like a bad chapter break. I didn't say that last week, but that's what it appears to be, because he has a therefore, and we know when we see a therefore in Scripture that we have to go back to see what it is there for. He says, having these promises. Now, there were promises that he quoted from the Old Testament In chapter 6, like 
2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, where he said, In an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. And then Paul went on to say, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. By Paul quoting Isaiah 49.8, Paul was connecting Jesus as a fulfillment of this messianic prophecy that refers to the fulfillment of Christ. Well, in that passage, it calls Christ servant three times. He is also called the redeemer of Israel. He's called the holy one, the servant of rulers. This prophecy not only foretold of God's servant bringing restoration to Israel, but in Isaiah 49.6, he said that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So not only to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles as well. Having these promises, the promise of the coming Messiah, the servant of rulers, the redeemer of Israel, the holy one. But also in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, Paul quoting from passages, it's actually found in, in several places in the Old Testament, like Exodus 29, 45, Leviticus 26, 12, where Paul said, for you are the temple of the living God, as God had said, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And it is through faith in Jesus Christ that the Father and the Son make their home in our hearts. He said, I will dwell with them. I will walk among them. And it's through faith in Jesus that we find this prophecy being fulfilled spiritually right now. But one day, literally, at the first coming, Jesus walked among them. He was with them. But the Lord is coming again. That is our great hope. And one day this will literally be fulfilled. Jesus said, though, until that day in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So right now, spiritually, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, making their dwelling in our very lives, in our very hearts. And then again in verses 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians 6, where Paul called the church to come out and be separate, we learn that because righteousness does not have fellowship with lawlessness, we learned this last week, righteousness does not have fellowship with lawlessness, light does not have communion with darkness, Christ does not have an accord with Belial or Satan, a believer has no part with an unbeliever. The temple of God has no arrangement with idols. That believers are to come out from among the unbelieving world that we might live for Christ. And this prophecy comes from Isaiah 52, 11 that says, Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. This calling to come out from among the world to live for Christ because we have these promises. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul 
calls believers to separate from the unrighteous conduct that drives so much of our world today, driving the thoughts and practices of the world that we live in today. There are some in the church that wrongly believe that eventually we will Christianize this world and then Christ will return. Well, if that is true, we are doing a horrible job at it right now. No, I believe that Christ will return one day. Until that day, we will have trials, we will have tribulations, because we are, though we are in the world, we are not to be of the world. Paul says to come out from among them, to cleanse ourselves, he says, from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. This filthiness is a Greek word that refers to a state of defilement involving both religious and moral aspects. This defilement that, well, it really expresses this thought to have badness in the sight of God. It's what others may think of you at times, but really the thought is what God is thinking of us to be defiled in the sight of God. When something was defiled in the Old Testament, it meant that it was not proper for worship. They could not bring a defiled lamb and offer it, although they did at times. They were not supposed to bring something that was defiled or defected to worship before God at the temple. And that same thought as Christians to take out this ugliness of heart. When speaking about both the flesh and the spirit, it refers to those defilements, those things that are done outwardly, but also those things that are done inwardly. You know, the things that are done outwardly, other people can see. Those things that are done inwardly, it's things that only you know about in God. And Paul is saying, cleanse yourself from these things. Let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. And so this Greek word for perfecting, it means to cause, to happen. It's really going about something to make sure that it is accomplished in your life. It is a task that is set before us. That's something that the Lord desires us to accomplish or to bring about. Remember, I'd already mentioned that we don't go this path alone. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has made their dwelling in our hearts. So we don't uh, have to take this battle on our own. We do not have to. Around Easter time, you will hear of Christians who will literally crucify themselves or have themselves crucified. That, you know, they don't crucify themselves unto death, but they do hang on a cross that they could experience the trials of Christ. We don't have to do that. Christ has died and was resurrected once from the grave. Not that we have to repeat his sacrificial act, because if we were able to crucify ourselves to get to heaven, then Christ would have not needed to come. We don't have to beat ourselves as we have seen some who in some faiths, they'll take a whip and they will whip their own back. They will beat themselves. They'll cause themselves to bleed or others will go on this knee crawling adventure where they'll crawl on their knees and penance until their knees are bloody and raw. We don't have to do that because Christ has accomplished these things for us and he will help to bring about that perfecting in our lives. Paul was reminding us that perfection is the end goal, this mind of holiness. 1 Corinthians 6.20, he said, 
For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to God. That is why we are to strive to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit and the perfecting of holiness in the fear of God. We should know that all the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was true when Paul penned these words, saying, therefore, having these promises, they are true to this day. And I am so glad that they are. Next, we see in verses two through four, to die and live together. I'll read the context for us. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have defrauded no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation to die and to live together. He began calling for the Corinthians to open their hearts to Paul and his missionary team. Paul said, we have wronged no one. We discover reading over the epistles of 1st and 2nd Corinthians that, as I had mentioned earlier, there were those who came and attacked the ministry of Paul. And Paul now has set to defend that ministry. He says, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. They were saying that Paul and his ministry team, they've been accused of having this self-centered ministry instead of a God-centered ministry. Instead of having Christ-centered motives. And although accused of wronging, of corrupting, of cheating, the Corinthians, Paul said, Ha, not us. We have, we have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. We have wronged no one. Paul wrote earlier in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, saying, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He had earlier said that, we have not handled the word of God deceitfully. We were not trying to be crafty. It was no bait and switch trying to bring people into the kingdom of God. And we find today that in the church, often they, they use kind of a bait and switch tactic to try to bring people into the kingdom of God. Paul spoke the truth before the people, whether they wanted to receive it or not. He spoke the truth of the word of God and he let the consequences fall wherever they might land. As a father to his children, Paul spoke not only in condemnation, but in truth. Because the children of Corinth, the church of Corinth, had this special place in his heart. He said, whether we die or we live, we do so together. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he had the same love for the church of Thessalonica where he wrote, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you 
not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you had become dear to us. That's what Paul was doing. He was spending his own life because the church was so dear to him. He was willing to give it all. So we find in verse four, this great boldness and boasting. He said, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. Because of his great affection for the Corinthians, Paul wrote to correct their mistakes, their misunderstanding, their sins that they have. In fact, Paul actually boasted to the other churches about the Corinthians. It wasn't that he was so angry with them that it, this was merely a corrective letter. He was showing them how much I love you guys. I've boasted about you guys to other churches. Understanding God's great work in their life, Paul, it filled him with comfort. It made him exceedingly joyful in all their troubles. He said, we have been filled with comfort. We are joyful even amid the troubles of our lives. Again, 1 Thessalonians to the church of Thessalonica, Paul wrote chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So as parents, when a child gets in trouble, sometimes all we need to know is that they're okay. The older you are and the older your children get, that never goes away, by the way. Uh, you're concerned for your children. Sometimes you hear that they're struggling and you just want to know they're okay. Sometimes today in this day and age for my son who lives in Hawaii and the distance is very far, even getting a text brings relief on a certain day. Maybe I hadn't heard from him for a day or two for whatever reason. I think about that. And I want to have this daily contact. And I probably saw my dad once a week at church. There was no daily contact back then. But we are so connected that we think, why isn't he responding? Why isn't she answering me? Well, maybe we're asking much in the day and age that we live in. But the work of ministry is a very similar way. For Paul, for me, it's wanting to see that those who have come to faith underneath the ministry that the Lord has given you, or maybe those who have come to your church as a believer, but they have grown in their faith and then they go off somewhere else. You just want to know that they are doing well. And sometimes during trials as pastors, along with church members, it may seem as if the work is not truly worth the heartache. Sometimes the trials can be so great it can seem, you know, Lord, is this really worth it? And when times like this come, it is because when we are questioning God saying, Lord, I don't know if this is worth it. I believe it's because we're viewing the work from an earthly perspective and not from a heavenly perspective. When a church is willing to die and to live together, the Holy Spirit is free to move upon that church with the power of the gospel that leads many to salvation. I think this is a key from the message that we get today. 
Our willingness, are we going to be like Paul and say we are willing to die together and to live together? I believe that when a church is willing to die and to live together, there comes the power of God to free people from their sins. Father, we thank you so much for your word that was presented to us today, for Paul's great desire, his longing for the church of Corinth. And Lord, we see in this chapter things that, Lord, we can relate to personally today in our own life, our own ministry, in our church. It is my prayer, Lord, that we would be a church that would be willing to have such a boldness to say, whether we die together or live together, Christ be glorified. Lord, I pray that we would be such a church and that your spirit would move upon this church in ways, Lord, that would be beyond our dreams. Our desire, Lord, is to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ and to grow in their faith. Help us, Lord, to fulfill those things. Our desire, Lord, is to see the next generation be strengthened in their faith, that they could carry forth the gospel until you come. And Lord, we don't know if your coming is tomorrow, a year from now, 10 years from now. Lord, help us to tarry until you come. May your grace be upon us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. (laughs) 